Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And welcome to the NXT Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT, but also Raw, SmackDown, AEW, Dynamite, pay-per-views, we have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review NXT. Uh, what was an aggressively fine show with nothing really to write home about, aside from the closing angle, Michael Hamlet. Yeah, like I would classify this one sort of worryingly inessential. If you consider the stakes of the main event match and indeed of the angle separate to that main event match, worryingly inessential. Um, there's a takeover now over SummerSlam weekend. That's confirmed. Crowds are back on the main roster, on the main shows. Um, and like all of a sudden, NXT feels somehow both a relic of the pandemic that wrestling has deemed in the past, completely past tense, and also like quite a grim, like it presents itself as having quite a grim and drab feature. There's like a couple of things to like on this whole two hours. But even then, the good stuff was inessential. And when it wasn't inessential, it was boring. And when it wasn't boring, it was bad. Uh, NXT's literally in the mud at this point, which is kind of a shame because it was just chugging along as this 7.5 out of 10 show most weeks that actual fans of the brand could probably be proud or happy or whatever that they were watching it. It has been totally flung into absolute disarray by Vince McMahon's meddling to the point where I'm not into carrying cross. I'm not going to pretend to be in a carrying cross, but I've gone from being bored by it all to like legitimately insulted. It's impossible to suspend your disbelief after what happened on Monday. Mm -hmm. And what's worse is that on this evidence, Raquel Gonzalez just isn't it as NXT women's champion, the big baby face they've been building, not terribly well, mind you, but building nonetheless in Kyle O'Reilly. Isn't it either like, here's the damning part. Like this brand really needs to hit a reset button, but it can't because if it hits a reset button and realigns everything so that it might be good or better, my God, Vincent Man just 
my company <laughs> gut it once again. Like it's kind of in trouble, I think, particularly when you look at the fact that it's uh, moving to sci-fi temporarily um, to make way for the Olympics. Um, yeah, like Doomsday is in fact here. Yeah, just a quick announcement. We are going to be replacing the NXT review next week with speed climbing because that looks like the best thing in the Olympics. <laughs> Is there any word on on uh, the CWC and moving back to full sale? I feel like that might be a, a difference maker, perhaps. The full sale thing is as much to do with their relationship with Full Sail University, isn't it? So that ran a natural course in 2020 when they moved out of empty Full Sail and into the CWC. And I guess at the time it didn't behoove them to kind of renew any deal. And conversations been like worryingly quiet. Um, it was a relationship that seemed to suit both parties for a time. And then I guess the long-term strategy, um, again, a lot of speculation on my part from only very sort of like based off a report and I saw, was that ultimately as a network show, WWE's long-term goal was to get NXT on the road or a version of the road, smaller venues perhaps. It was a television show now. The relationship with uh, Full Sail University had reached kind of a natural conclusion. They used to help with production. They used to help with all the other little bits that was becoming more and more in-house. USA Network probably wanted it that way. So we're kind of stuck in this... Well, it is a grey middle because the whole show feels grey and black and dark, but it's a certain grey area for now, at very least. Um, they can open up the CWC, I guess, to feel more like a crowd building, if again, or bear in mind, this like took place tonight, still feeling like it was in the restrictions of the pandemic. Mm. You know, quartered off, quartered off crowds in like boxed off areas. One would assume as soon as they deem it possible, they'll tear all that away and this will just look like a crowd in the building again but I don't think it's enough I was never an advocate of NXT to get out on the road but it's because I like the atmosphere within Full Sail yeah. that's gone that's gone the CWC atmosphere is pathetic so I roll the dice on the road get those small venues booked get the year uh, the 1994-1995 Monday Night Raw basketball gyms booked and see what you can draw up in there because I do not want this building to be around anymore. Not when, like, not when you've got the comparisons Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It's really damning on this show. Yeah, NXT feels small enough, and Jesus Christ, it's like feels much smaller now in the wake of recent weeks. Mm. Yeah, it needs it certainly needs an injection of something. Not only like we alluded to in the intro there with storylines, just a crowd reaction. Like we've talked, you know, yes, there's been great entertainment on you know money in the bank or fighter fest or whatever it may be but even a roar that was kind of all over the shop yes it had some big things that happened on it but it wasn't exactly a resounding success i feel like a lot of people gave it a pass because of just the, the thrill of hearing that crowd reaction and it's it's just not there in the cwc if we're perfectly honest all right let's talk in a, let's start by talking about this show uh, at the beginning of the night it was Furious Samoa Joe. He's basically been pissed off for seven whole days after being choked out, of course, by Karrion Cross at the end of last week's show. No mention of Monday Night Raw at the start of this week's show. There was a video package uh, with a uh, an Undertaker-themed music that gave me flashbacks to about 10 different pay-per-views they did back in the day. The, the end is here, the end is near, all that sort of thing. Anyway, Samojo comes down to the ring, storms down there and shouts, tick-tock, tick-tock, look who's coming to smash your clock. Uh, but it's not Karen Cross who comes out to meet him. It is general manager William Regal. He said, look, this isn't exactly what I had in mind uh, when you return to NXT. You can't just call out superstars. Joe is just furious now. He's getting in Regal's face. Joe said, look, the deal was if I get provoked... I get to 
kick people's heads in. Uh, and you can I consider what happened last week provocation. But Regal said, well, technically, uh, little mind, you were a referee last week. So, well, you know, in your capacity as, you know, assistant to the assistant general manager, assistant to the general manager, it was as a referee that you got attacked. So you weren't acting in your official capacity. And Joe, quite rightly, says, eh, I think that's semantics, really. Cross is out of control. I'm here to get control of Cross. Regal says, look, Cross is on his way. Please, please try and settle things peacefully between the two of you. Yeah, good luck with that one. Crowder wanting them to fight, of course. Uh, and Joe says, look, because of the deep respect I have for you, I will try my best that the issue will end tonight. I can't guarantee things will end peacefully, but I can guarantee that tonight somebody is going to sleep. And I suppose technically, Sige, he was right in that. I mean, I've just yawned during your recap, <laughs> as much as you tried to sort of infuse it with a bit of drama. I love your dramatic readings, Wilborn. They're great. I did not think this opening segment was great. I, oh, like, I'm sick of this, man. I'm sick of WWE. What did William Regal expect? 100% of the time, a wrestler or a non-wrestler is installed as special guest referee. Like, they always have some kind of outcome on the finish. You simply can't have watched, much less presided, as Regal does, over enough WWE TV to not expect this to happen and to not look like an idiot when it does. And now he's saying, oh, well, actually, you're wearing a magic T-shirt. What is this Survivor Series? Hmm. Uh, it's just, <laughs> this is genuinely woeful storytelling. Um, as we pointed out on last week's review, when there was a brawl and Joe was nowhere to be seen, it's already been ruthlessly exposed by how one engineers conflicts on pro wrestling television. Anyway, it's inconsistent. The characters at this point are looking stupid. It is impossible to buy... 24 hours removed from Raw, carrying crosses, anything other than a botched main roster call-up, and yet he's still operating in parallel as NXT champion and the most protected and powerful NXT champion ever. This is all totally rubbish. Yeah, we alluded to this pamphlet in our preview yesterday. I'm not sure if you saw this, Sige, but there was the old 30-second preview that they often put out before NXT, and I assumed it was all going to be about uh, Zia Lee, obviously, versus... Uh, Raquel Gonzalez for the title. Well, the first 15 seconds were, can anybody stop carrying cross? Yes, Jeff Hardy can. Uh, what do you think of these, this opening pamphlet? Totally agree with my esteemed colleague. It's not semantics, Joe. It's bollocks. And you know it's bollocks. Um, you can't, like NXT, in its defence, is trying to book this as it would have done had that carrying cross match not happened on Raw. But it did. We saw it. So, like... It's kind of like, I don't want to be too harsh on them for that, but it did happen. And they have not shown the either the malleability or the creativity to work around the most awful of circumstances. They've just elected to ignore it whatsoever. Bold strategy, Cotton. Like, it's I don't think it's going to pay off on the evidence of one episode thus far. Um, because otherwise, like in a bubble, there's maybe something to like about this angle. But like that bubble needs to be like several inches thick. Because it's got to it, like avoid Monday Night Raw's actions completely. It's you can't buy Carrying Cross, thus you can't buy this angle. And buying this angle, even if you did buy Carrying Cross, is accepting the dialogue between William Regal and Joe, um, loaded with plot holes. Look, this is now appearing like a device from the very beginning that existed not to gradually 
after a year, maybe, reintroduced Samoa Joe as an NXT wrestler, this was introduced as a one-month angle to put him back in the ring. To, I assume, once upon a time, lose to Karrion Cross. Like, I looking at this now, like, with sort of five, six weeks of hindsight, have they brought Samoa Joe in as an authority figure in inverted commas to set him up as Karrion Cross's summer takeover opponent and presumably get beat and just do more to enhance the aura of Karrion Cross? And then they've been thrown this diversion of him losing to Jeff Hardy. By the way, I just felt moved to check this. When they opened the show with that version of the end, that doors knock off that they've like warped over the years to now become this thing for Karrion Cross. If you go on the uh, WB Music Group uh, YouTube channel for the end, they've got it labelled as a Judgment Day theme, which I believe it was when they understood yeah. to use it once upon a time. Um, that song is one minute and 39 seconds. So you can listen to all of that and still have a second left before the Karrion Cross Jeff Hardy match had finished. <laughs> <laughs> so you can treat yourself to, treat yourself to both. Um, I like it's impossible to analyze that closing angle, which I thought was decent and far better than this without acknowledging how raw has wrecked it before it even happened. We got a uh, pre-tape promo from Xia promising to become the uh, first Chinese NXT women's champion. Talked about being the biggest match of her life and said she'd uh, do to Raquel Gonzalez what she did to Mercedes Martinez, which is a hell of a threat. And then we got a diamond mine versus Kushida and Bobby fish. Uh, Hamlet, we we previewed this yesterday. I didn't exactly call this going the way it did. Uh, Fish and Kushida attacked uh, Roderick Strong and Tyler Rust as they were walking out to the ring. Uh, Strong eventually gets uh, back in control after hitting Kushida with a backbreaker. Tags Rust in. He batters Kushida all over the place. Uh, Kushida eventually makes it to his corner. Uh, Bobby Fish gets the hot tag, runs in, batters Rust. Uh, But Strong distracts him. That allows Rust to jump him and uh, Fish gets suplexed on the apron by Roderick Strong. Uh, and the finish saw Bobby Fish go after Roderick Strong. They fall to the floor. It leaves Kushida and Tyler Rust in the ring. Uh, Kushida hits a flying elbow off the top rope onto the arm of Rust, punts the arm. Rust tries to counter. We all know where this is heading, though. Uh, Kushida counters that flying body says into the hoverboard lock. And Tyler Rust taps out a shock defeat. Although I suppose not. I mean, Kushida is cruiserweight champion, but... Yeah, Diamond Mine slightly uh, undercut already, what, two weeks in, Hamlet? Diamond Mine, more like Undermine, all right? Um, get get Bret Hart in as well. I know I would advocate that on every single WWE show, but get Bret Hart in, because is it Diamond Mine or is it the Diamond Mine? Like, make the minds up. Um, this, Christ almighty, like, this wasn't even good work. This was great work at points. Great work. Um, but who gives a toss? Who gives a toss? because you go in 20 minutes to beat your hot brand new stable on television. Like, I'm consistent. I'm going to whinge about the pinnacle never getting the last word in over the inner circle for all those weeks. I'm absolutely going to whinge about the diamond mine not even able to get a win, a mid-card win on television. In Is this their first attempt as a team? That's right, isn't it? They've won singles matches, but this is their first attempt as a tag, and they've lost. So you're, like, undercutting their ability to work together as a group, and it's strongs in the match. It's not like you're doing hit roll where you've got Swerve on the outside or something. Strong's there. Like, lead him from the front in a tag match and they've beat them. Like, I enjoy getting to analyse NXT for pro wrestling reasons rather than what we analyse Raw for, right? Like, you're looking at this. You can no longer analyse that as as pro wrestling. It's, it's, you have to report on this as, a, as the content it is. NXT attempts to still exist within the confines of pro wrestling booking 
and you just beat your, your new team week one. Kushida had Bobby Fish with him. It's okay to be predictable. It's okay for Bobby Fish to take the fall or indeed walk out on Kushida, as I think you were thinking, Will Bourne, maybe. Mm. Like, is it a bit of a swerving that he relinks back up with Roddy Strong or whatever? But point is, they want Kushida's title and there's no need to beat Kushida for that until you actually have the match because you can have tag matches for this reason. Stables are good, you know, for this very reason. Mm. And you just beat them. The work was great at points. Properly, properly great. I don't often enjoy Bobby Fish. I did here. I thought Tyler Rust had a good showing for himself. Again, like a perfect opportunity for someone like him to shine when he's surrounded by those three. So I thought so much of this was really elegant. But it was too long. It was too dull. And the result was all wrong. Like, a bit of a disaster. Dressed up as great work, this. I, I couldn't believe the result. Yes, it's odd. Like, the reason, again, to echo... Pamphlet. You have staples. If you want to be really, really reductive about it, it's like you have a lower run guy to take the falls for the to protect the stars and to prolong the matches in which the stars are both in. All incredibly simple, made a little bit difficult here for me. Uh, the fact that Rust had such a good showing, but still took the fall in a long match, kind of equalised some things for me. But I still think it was too long a match. Like two advert breaks, uh, too long. Too long. Um, Roderick Strong at points looked phenomenal here. Like, credible, nasty, gripping. Like, he could mess you up and you would not want to be in there with him at all. So it worked on that level for me. It all... I was a bit higher on it, I think, than Hamlet. I just think it went too long. And, like, don't do that result yet. Mm. There's literally no need for it. Like, there's no need for it at all. Um... But I some of it was excellent. Some of it was excellent. The in-ring strong was there was the high point of the show, the entire show for me. One curious thing, um, to phrase my words very carefully here for a couple of reasons. You don't want to say fans were a bit rubbish because then you get accused of being one of those idiots who says that, oh yeah, the fans are rubbish. They're not like naturally naturally responding to dire creative, but and that's the fans. Like the fans were kind of rubbish here. There's a point when um Kushida was doing some great stuff in the ring. And then we're chanting, we want Bobby. And then when Bobby was in the ring, we're going, Bobby, Bobby. It's like, what? why aren't you chanting for Kushida? It's a bit curious. Um, but beyond that, yeah, like I was watching Roddy Strong's work and I think it was so formidable that I thought he deserves a better result than this, at least this early. Mm. It'd be intriguing. Uh, the look on Bivin's face when, when uh, Russ submitted, uh, I don't know, maybe suggested he's going to, Eject him from the group after less than a month. You think that all their training in the that's what I got as well. I got that as well. I thought a defeat and dissension. Are you kidding me? That's I felt that exact worry, and it's been less than a month. And they'd hyped it for longer than that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Odd. I mean, they can't book, but Roddy Strong <laughs> go. Roddy Strong can go, so it's fine. Yeah, uh, we got a vignette of. Uh... L.A. Knight, the million-dollar champion, and uh, here we go, baby, to the moon. They arrive in uh, L.A. Knight's sports car. We get a glimpse of what could be a spectacular tag team, the sort of odd couple thing which we often moan about. But I don't know, just that visual and then bickering in there with Grimes dressed as Knight's butler. Uh, I don't know, potential certainly there. They're arguing they could have got to the uh, the performance centres or they could have got to the arena sooner uh, had Grimes 
ignore, you know, listen to the GPS or whatever. Uh, LA Knight's got loads of bags and uh, Grimes is struggling with picking them all up. Drake Maverick offers to help. Grimes is fine, but Maverick gets annoyed that, that anyone's, uh, sorry, that, sorry, Knight gets annoyed that Maverick has, has insisted to help, uh, tells him to piss off, basically, and this sets up a match between the two of them later on. Anything you want to say about this, Sige? They look like they, I mean, they have chemistry. It's mildly amusing. It's going to do, it's, I'm saying the same thing every single week. They look like they're having a lot of fun together doing this. And fair play to them because for brief moments of an early Wednesday morning, I do too, briefly. I, I like this because I booked it, except with Kaminjiro. Like on the previous yesterday, we discussed a, a team of jackets and hats where Cameron Grimes would befriend Ikemanjiro and then LA Knight would force him to batter him. So this, I think, was absolutely the way to go. LA Knight being enough of a prick to find the thing that would actually upset Cameron Grimes. And I, I fair play, because I didn't think about Drake Maverick and how well he would slot into this dynamic. But, uh, you know, we've gone back and forth on our certain issues with Drake Maverick, but this is what you have a Drake Maverick for. Exactly this kind of storyline is why you have a Drake Maverick on your roster, I think. They confirmed that TakeOver 36 is going to go down on the Sunday of SummerSlam weekend. SummerSlam, of course, taking place on Saturday, August 21st this year. They had a a hype video for Odyssey Jones ahead of his match in the NXT breakout tournament. And Samoa Joe is furiously pacing backstage uh, ahead of Karrion Cross's arrival. Then we got Frankie Monet. She comes out flanked by Jesse Camille. Uh, Robert Stone came out midway through the match to, to glom onto this new stable, presumably. And uh, as Frankie Monet was uh, wrestling uh, JC Jane, Mandy Rose appeared and laid down on the uh, announce desk to, uh, yeah, to pay attention to this match and presumably to Frankie Monet, that distracted Monet. That allowed Jane to make a, a bit of a comeback in this match. She uh, hit a neck breaker and got a two count, but Monet fires up, stops her in her tracks and hit Beth Phoenix's uh, finisher to get the victory here. It's like Mandy Rose is turning her attention to Frankie Monet. Uh, what do you think of the, this going forward and uh, the uh, intriguing developments with the Frankie Monet brand, I assume, Michael Hamlet? It's rubbish. You know it's rubbish as you're asking me the question. Like, this was rubbish, man. (laughs) Like, I I was being generous at the start saying inessential, and it was one of these things I was thinking of as, wow, crisis is inessential. But this was rubbish. Um, You have replaced the Robert Stone brand with a different version of the Robert Stone brand. Like, filler, non-starter, stable stuff in the lower reaches of a women's division um, in the form of a bad match, Short as it was, it was still fairly poorly executed. <laughs> Freaking Shawn Michaels staring your hand a bit for a jobber's neck breaker was a new low for that genre. Um, and they clearly didn't expect Mandy Rose on their books. Triple H was obviously told last Tuesday morning, oh, you're having Mandy Rose. Oh, right, okay. And two weeks in, they still haven't figured it out. It's just, you're just going to watch stuff until they decide exactly where that's going to go. I will not be patronised by wrestling television that is both bad and as mundane as this segment was. I don't know what is going to happen when Frankie Monet finally gets to a takeover, but I don't think it's going to be particularly good. Like, slow, slow stuff. Like, 
not absorbing or believable or adrenalizing or nothing. Um, I couldn't give a toss about Robert Stewart. I just don't care about any of these characters nor the action. It's as, it's as simple as that. I don't know what to do with Mandy Rose. I mean, that's one or two things, isn't it? They're going to feed her. They're going to partner her up. Now, I don't think we're going to do any 30-minute effusively fantasy booking podcasts about this one, are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine. Yeah, hopefully. So we're going to be doing a Get the Table. That'll be dropping on a podcast feed. <laughs> what, what next for Mandy Rose and Tyre Valkyrie? <laughs> Uh, backstage confrontation between Austin Theory and Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly not happy with uh, what Austin Theory said about him last week, I believe it was. Uh, challenges him to a match. Theory accepts and Gargano tells him, well, you got yourself into this and, and I went out there on my own last week. You can do the same this weekend. We also got a sit-down interview with Bronson Reed, who said he's ready to step up and move forward after, of course, losing the North American Championship in a shock loss to uh, Swerve a few weeks back. Uh, Wade Barrett asks whether facing someone like Adam Cole is a smart move and said, look, and Reed replied by saying, look, Cole's the best. Why not fight the best? And they're going to face off next week on NXT. That was followed by the match between Kyle O'Reilly and Austin Theory. This given plenty of time. Enjoyable, this one. Um, Theory uh, gets a two count off of the rolling fisherman suplex. Uh, O'Reilly makes a, a comeback. Theory hits a blue thunderbomb for a two and a bit count. Uh, it also hits Nushigoroshi for another near fall. And then they go to the outside and Austin Theory breaks out the ring steps. And this causes O'Reilly to snap, basically. He fires up, he goes bonkers, kicks, strikes, hoying him into the barricade, all that sort of thing. He uh, eventually comes off the top rope uh, with a flying knee drop. He'd already tried to submit Austin Theory uh, earlier on in the night. But he, uh, yeah, drops his knee onto, he drops the knee onto the knee of, theory basically basically and uh yeah taps him out refuses to break the whole referee has to pull him off um he's uh he goes to that place michael sidgwick when someone touches the ring steps quite clearly good match i guess um kyle o'reilly's stuff despite the way it was arrived at looked great in the last two minutes but i continue to be mystified at what the hell they're doing with Kyle O'Reilly. They mm. absolutely do not have a clue. They do not have a clue what they are trying to do with his character. He's not getting over in the CWC. Very little is, but if he's meant to be a guy, and I can't see any other baby faces on the horizon, if he's meant to be the guy, it just isn't working at all. Not connecting with this crowd, even though some of them seem like the right knobs. Um, <laughs> like, I don't want to see... A guy I want to watch and root for, like snap into an explosive rage. Like, <laughs> just like be like a cool badass or something, or have like real emotions. I don't know. So glad you used that exact phrasing, right? I was just. It was this week that I felt like Kyle O'Reilly is starting to remind me of, like, and this is a, a dated reference from a dated man from a dated time. Alec O'Reilly. A very, a very specific era of e-fedding around the early 2000s where you would uh, you would walk into the company as the hot new thing in a straw hat and a Velvet Underground t-shirt. But he's, like, after sort of two or three weeks of not really having many promos to write, it'd be like, he snapped into an uncharted route, new territory. 
You you were the six wrestlers on the forum. One of you playing Shane Douglas didn't count on my quiet rage. (laughs) (laughs) You mistook my Ray-Bans for being a cool customer. I just feel like that's where Kyle O'Reilly is at now, because I as well really enjoyed the fire-up. It's not that I didn't buy the fire-up and the fact that he is either portraying two things at once or he's moving from a failed character into an attempt to... you know, an attempt to rectify that. I, I did buy it because physically it was so convincing. He pummeled the f- out of Austin Theory at the end there. Like I completely bought it. But it's as soon as you step out of that and it's big picture stuff and you're like, hang on. Like you're this sort of, you know, like pale comparison to Orange Cassidy a few months ago. You're having this strange and disappointing feud with Adam Cole. And now you're moving into this version of yourself and ultimately you lose the big matches too. So I can't really buy you as a threat to the main guys, but Kyle O'Reilly, the flat track bully when he's triggered, isn't exactly isn't exactly what I pictured for him when the Undisputed Era first flipped. I, I think I've changed my mind on this. I think I really like it now. There's loads of fantasy book in there. He walks into the change room. There's his old pal, Bobby Fish. He's got some headphones on. Five, six, seven, eight. Oh, Bobby, what are you listening to? Oh, just a bit of, just a bit of steps. What? Will Born, you need to be stopped. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, let's move on and talk about some mariachi madness with Santos Escobar and Legado del Fantasma. This was, I don't know what this was, if I'm perfectly honest. They just sort of said, yeah, we'll send out Legado del Fantasma with some blokes in masks and guitars and then just have them not bother with it all. Um, Basically, yes, Santos Escobar says that they were meant to be there to have a musical celebration of mariachi. 
but you aren't worth it. So bollocks to all that. He said, we're not going to do the hit row thing and vomit a few lines whilst embarrassing ourselves. Look, he said he was the true... He, he, he said, Gabion champion uh, and said he was going to be coming for Swerve's North American Championship. Of course, Hit Row then interrupt. They confront him. Uh, I quite like the little promos that they all cut here. Uh, uh, Top Dollar was talking about, you know, Santos Escobar compared to Pablo Escobar, blah, blah, blah. Some good lines in there. Although, of course, the best one goes to Swerve. He said he's going to make Santo his bitch. And uh, Escobar curses in Spanish at him, vows to take the title back to Mexico. They face off uh, Raul Mendoza and uh, Joaquin Wild brawl with the uh, the other members of Hit Row as Scott and uh, Escobar square off. They brawl. Escobar grabs the guitar, goes to hit Scott with it, but B-Fab takes it off him, gives the guitar to Scott. Escobar bails. Raul Mendoza is caught in the ring and gets twatted with the guitar. Uh, it was a weird way to get to a guitar shot, but what did you think of this segment, Michael Sidgwick? Oh, very little. Very little. Um, I was just so confused by the start and what a self-own it was. And then I was further muddled by just the dynamics of whatever the hell this is. Like, who's the heel? Who's the face? <laughs> How can anyone with, like, a thirst for dramatic activity and the emotional heft that it requires to invest in, just get anything remotely out of this whatsoever. Like, was the implication that Legado del Fantasma were instructed by institutionally racist white management to do a musical segment that they then just simply didn't want to do? Like, what? Why was this? Ah, this is so bizarre. Yeah, I couldn't get over. Like, what? I just could not get over the the subtext of what was going, going on here. I just absolutely couldn't get on, uh, on with it at all. I'm not looking forward to the match. I don't know who I want to win, win the match. I don't know what the match ultimately is going to mean. Probably, you know, by Escobar get a North American title shot. I just don't know what to think of any of this. It's such a confusing show, NXT. It really is. I, I took this as um, Hit Row's babyface turn. Uh, the stuff was cheesy again, and you can you can't get away with it, but you can only sort of be more justified in doing it if you're going to be baby faces. And I just took this, as, you know, like this was a, as good as a face turn. The first feud they're going to win is over Phantasma, and then off they go as baby faces, probably to do something with whatever remains of the way if they manage to stay together in time to get to that match. Um, <laughs> it's funny, Cedric mentions that about there. Um, the mariachi stuff. And yes, was this like abandoned by Phantasma in protest of not wanting to do it? Because this reminded me of when like Kurt Angle would threaten doing a German suplex from the apron through a table. They're like, don't tease that because you're never actually going to do it. Like, I love it in theory because you're a psychopath, but we know that you're never going to do that spot. So don't even tease it. Don't flash up mariachi madness on a graphic because I want to watch mariachi madness. Like yeah. I've got memories. I've got memories of Brock Lesnar putting a sombrero on before his match with Eddie Guerrero and doing yeah. that jig across the ring. Give me mariachi madness! And I didn't. The one thing I wanted from this, they took it away. They pulled the rug in the first six seconds. So I'm already starting like a little bit pissed off with everybody and not in the good heat way. I'm not like cheer- yeah, hit row. You tell them for taking my daft, possibly racist guitar segment off me. Like I just I, um, inessential. 
that's what this was. But Hit Row are going to get the first big win over these guys, aren't they? So, I mean, Christ, Karin Cross beat the three of them on his own and he got beat after <laughs> 14 a minute four. It's going to take a row like, what, 10 seconds? Like... Imagine Jeff Hardy versus like all three of Legado del Fantasma. <laughs> like, we've got like minus seconds. Mariachi really, band. The worst thing is, sing writing on no more words in the mariachi band. The worst thing is, like, I could that's a good joke. I could put it on Twitter and I'd get like knee likes because <laughs> knee one watches this. Another backstage segment with the way they're in the locker room. Uh, Candace is furious with everyone and how they've been lately. Uh, and Indy says, Look, if Austin Theory wants to kiss Dexter, he should kiss Dexter. And I, I still like this, so. I'll allow it. Um, and it looks like they're heading back to therapy. Candice and Johnny said they're calling it because Indy's just out of control. And Austin Theory, in the midst of all this, he's just come back from getting his head kicked in uh, by Carl uh, Riley when he went to that place. Uh, he's had enough. Uh, he says the family's falling apart. He's left hanging again from the old high five. And he he walks out, Michael Hamlet. Is this the beginning of the end of For The Way? Oh, how can they ever coexist? I, I, I'd like... I hope not, if I'm honest, because... I thought that, like, I thought that Indy Hartwell line was great. Um, that no-look high-five exists to be no-sold. So that in itself is quite a nice bit of physical comedy. In the interview earlier on that was setting up the Kyle O'Reilly impromptu match, Austin Theory got a line and says something like, yeah, I haven't slept for a week. And God, God I was like, well, I don't advocate that. <laughs> so there's still stuff here. And I think that's probably why they're doing therapy because they genuinely think that they can get blood from a stone in that kind of comedy segment because the way have proven it before. Um, NXT needs this group to stick together. Like the, the show needs it, regardless of what angles you book in and storylines and matches and stuff. The show needs the way, I think. So I, I, I don't relish a possible split. I think the show needs a babyface Candice LeRae, but we'll get to that later. Mm. So is still pacing, waiting for Karen Cross to arrive. Regal's begging him to keep things peaceful. Good luck with that. Uh, and then we get the next match in the NXT breakout tournament. Poor Andre Chase. Odyssey Jones gets a, a nice vignette earlier on, and then you just go, yeah, here's Andre Chase, bloke. I wonder if you can guess who's going to win this match. Uh, Chase did get some some offense in. He, he posts Jones. He dives a, rip, a rough bump on the outside, diving uh, to, to be failing to be get caught by Odyssey Jones. Not sure exactly what happened there. Uh, but yes, Chase posts Jones, hits him with a moonsault press for a two-count. But then in the end, Jones batters him, splashes him in the corner and uses a sort of modified version of the uh, big boss man slam to score the pinfall. I like this Odyssey Jones lad, Hamlet. Yeah, good match in the uh, breakneck. I mean, breakout tournament, this, isn't it? Um, Christ, that dive was frightening. Um, could have gone horribly, horribly wrong, but then it's okay because this is a developmental brand, isn't it? Um, I the, Yeah, Odyssey Jones got over here. And I think, I guess that's two for two in terms of breakout <laughs> matches so far, in terms of somebody coming out with this that you haven't already forgotten before the show's finished um, and you're wondering how they're going to do in the bracket in the next round. Um, <sighs> glad it didn't go any longer, That's which is a criticism, I guess, against both men. I didn't, I didn't need to see any more of this, but I this makes me think that the as a forecast, the breakout tournament will introduce... Maybe what was the field like eight in total? Like they might get three decent television regulars out of this tournament because they're kind of two for two in that so far. My only abiding memory was Jesus Christ, that bump was terrifying. Mm. 
given what they did almost immediately afterwards, I think it was meant to be a catch. And weirdly enough, in NXT, someone didn't catch someone when they were meant to. Um, I've got no real thoughts on any of it, if I'm being honest. It genuinely felt like both these guys got ways to go. Yeah, but I completely agree, Hanford. We had, we had Vink last week, we got Odyssey Jones this week, and next week we have Carmelo Hayes, who's already shown what he can do in between the ropes. Uh, he's fighting Josh Briggs. Josh Briggs, sorry, next week. Uh, so looking forward to that. We get MSK interviewed backstage, and yeah, we're wondering what MSK stands for, and they go on to explain it. But wouldn't you know it? Uh, the video cuts out, and there's a uh, video by Imperium who bollock everyone for being flashy and flippy and all that bollocks in the tag team division the champs are clowns they say and it cuts back and they say ended up covered in piss no then they say uh, and that's what spells msk we'll never know michael sidgwick but uh, i'm not a huge fan of imperium i mean no secret of that but it is quite an intriguing little styles clash i suppose between the, the two teams i guess three and a quarter star match that will have zero, zero dramatic weight behind it. If you're going to book them to suddenly arrive at the NXT titles and maybe contending for them, I think maybe have them have some wins. But then <laughs> someone might quite rightfully point, point out, Sid, you would have been bored with those wins if they happened. Yeah, <laughs> but at least it would have been the right thing to do, the correct booking thing to do. This is just screaming filler into my bored face. I, I don't mind the combination, you know. I, it's it, I, which is a credit to MSK, bloody hell. Um, but I just thought the setup was really lazy. Imperium, like the new like NWO guys, are they like they interrupt the like <laughs> Imperium? They're mighty sacred, but we're really good at interrupting the feed. Like we're, we're quality in the production room, but our wrestling is very catch based. But we know we're out a few wires, like. So frigging lazy, man. Doesn't at all match up with how they do their bit. Like, Imperium surely should win a match to want a match. That's their MO, isn't it? Like, I'm not saying that as their leader. Like, shouldn't that be <laughs> like how, how they get a title match? Um, so, yeah, like a lazy, lazy setup, which makes me think that the match is going to be like a routine television win hmm. for MSK. But the great thing about MSK is like we're having this over and over again. They mesh perfectly with so many of these teams because like they like are so different to everybody else. And all the things that typically would make me dread an Imperium match, I don't have because I kind of think MSK will get the best out of that. I just would like to be told a better story for it. Uh, we're coming off the back of a really good one. Champer and Thatcher were, all, were awesome opponents for MSK. Grizzly and Vets before them the same. This I keep going back to essential. That's what this feels like. I'll, yeah, I'll allow it as long as they do it on TV in a couple of weeks. And as MXK are celebrating their inevitable title retention, they're grizzled. You yeah, I knew that was coming. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I want to see. Sure as the rain. <laughs> yeah, I don't that. think they like the grizzled veterans very much. Put a microphone in Zach Gibson's hand. And yeah. Anyway. It probably not, might not be going in that direction because uh, we got a promo following that from Oni Lorcan and... Uh, oh, yeah, please do. Uh, they challenged Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa to a scrub. Uh, that is going to go down next week on NXT. And then we got L... On channel? On Sci-Fi. Oh, doing the Brummie accent. On Sci-Fi. Thank you. 
Thank you. <laughs> I've had quite a few people say so, when I lived in Birmingham, so it gave me some flashbacks. This, um, anyway, uh, LA Knight versus Drake Maverick was next, and uh, it would have been a straightforward victory for LA Knight. He was battering Drake Maverick for the majority of this match, but he kept distracting himself with Cameron Grimes's butler, who wasn't holding the million dollar title up right or even bothering, he was just lent on the apron, just chatting. Having a good time, yeah. Uh, in the midst of all this, he goes out and, and, and you think it's good. To be fair, I mean, it's it's one up from, from a roll-up, I suppose, because what happened was LA Knight's leaning out of the ring going, no, you need to hold the belt up like this. Drake Maverick bumps into him. He headbutts the belt and then Maverick rolls him up for the one, two, three. But more importantly, let's talk about what happened post-match because Cameron Grimes is looking at Drake Maverick and going, good one, mate. But LA Knight jumps him, kicks his head in, Grimes gets in to stop any further beatdown, and LA Knight orders him to hit Drake Maverick. Grimes goes to leave. Knight stops him and reminds him that he has to do what he says effectively. And a very sort of regretful Grimes does in the end chin Drake Maverick and then stares in disgust at his boss, I suppose. I quite like this as a, as a development with this story, Sidge. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, look... The idea is that at some point LA Knight is going to do something so horrible that Cameron Grimes is going to break the bonds of this indentured servitude or whatever and he's going to have a big blow-off gimmick match to try and get away from it. That is going to win. It's how you build to that story. It's how you find ways to add a little bit of emotion beyond the silly skits and I guess this was an alright way of doing it yeah I'd rather this to skits definitely I, the, the, like a bit more detail from the preview yesterday was just that I wanted it to end like find me a match find me a match from all of this that isn't right now Cameron Grimes versus LA Knight obviously you get one more in the end where Grimes wrestles himself free of all of this but in the meantime let's have something that actually takes this back to the ring and I thought this was pretty effective as I said before I think like Maverick I didn't think of Drake Maverick as this person, but he's probably one of the perfect people for this as well. Because, yes, it's probably going to be more about Knight um, abusing his privilege with Grimes, but Drake Maverick can be that friend that kind of sticks with Grimes, that tries to understand him and help him break out of it. I th- I think this is maybe an indictment more than praise. This is the best story in NXT at the moment. It is. It like is. I'm looking at looking up and down the show and there's nothing, there's certainly not on this episode. There's absolutely nothing better than this story. Mm. And you it's like it, everything, as we've discovered over the past however many weeks, everything needs fans. This needs a little bit of panto interaction with a proper crowd that is lit up because it's a dissonance for me when you see it unfold in the ring, as opposed to these sunny sort of glamorous Florida locales of like luxury and wealth. When you get it in that, CWC, it just doesn't work at all. It's too dark. It's too dystopian for what is meant to be fun, irreverent fluff. And I just can't reconcile the two things in my head. But yeah, you can do more with this, like you say, with the interactions with Drake Maverick. Maybe uh, Cameron Grimes offers to pay Drake Maverick's medical bills for, I don't know, breaking his nose in kayfabe or whatever next week and then and then he can have LA Knight say, no, 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 you need to pull any coverage you've got from him away. 
and he can fend for himself in the American medical system, blah, 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 that sort of thing. Uh, we've always said that the NXT car park is the most dangerous place in the world. And so they've tried to counteract that by having valets park cars. But yeah, not good to be one of them either because Samojo snatched up some bloke who was driving carrying Cross's car. He'd uh, snuck in presumably round the back whilst uh, Samojo was waiting at the door. And then we got the NXT Women's Championship match, Raquel Gonzalez versus Zaya Lee. Story of this match is Gonzalez outpowering Lee, of course. Uh, she got posted by Gonzalez. Gonzalez dominating early on, but uh, Zaya Lee sidesteps a charge and, and Gonzalez hurts herself, boots the ring post, and Zaya Lee then targets that leg, hoying her, Hoying Gonzalez's leg into the ring post and uh, sending her into the ring steps, putting on a half crab, targeting it. Uh, Gonzalez powers out of the hold eventually. Zaya nails her with kick strikes and that spin kick of hers for a two count. Gonzalez comes back though and she hits a sort of twisting splash uh, from the turnbuckle as Zaya is is laid out. And then we don't really know what has happened. Zaya stays down. The referee, the trainers go and check on her. We obviously hope Zaya is all right because immediately after that, after a short delay and Raquel Gonzalez clearly just sort of waiting to find out what the instruction is. Zaya fair play to her, toughs it out and still eats the uh, choke slam bomb thing gonzalez is finisher basically she still eats that gonzalez covers a one two three but uh yeah didn't look didn't look good for Zaylee at the end of this match but nevertheless sige Raquel gonzalez still nxt women's champion i think this division's a bit knackered at the minute it just doesn't feel remotely like it did back in 2019 or even much of 2020 with Io Shirai, at least in ring as this one thing that nxt and by extension wwe could say like, beat this, like, beat this. You can't. Uh, those days don't seem to be here anymore. They told the simple, logical story in a way I would describe as well enough. I don't think the finish ruined every, anything in particular. Nothing was spoiling. It wasn't a great electrifying match that I could take seriously or was particularly dramatic. I did like Zia Lee's means of grounding her opponent. The spin kick delivered into the back was nice, I guess. Um, I think Zaylee was reported to be okay in the aftermath. Obviously, it did have a detrimental effect on the match. How could it not? But I think the issue for me is the execution is bad, and that in itself is worse because if you look at how long they've built both of these characters, they should have felt just through... Time alone, investment alone, this should have felt so, so, so much bigger than it was. And it didn't feel remotely major league at all. I think a reappraisal of this division has to happen. Yeah, I would agree. Um, this was just like a bit of a nightmarish experience, really, because I, I I, don't even think I liked the preamble as much as Sidgwick did. I didn't like, I was a bit bored by the work. And R2 was having those feelings about, oh man, this is not the first time for Raka Gonzalez. Maybe she ain't it. And the and it's fine for like wrestlers to be pushed while you obscure their weaknesses. That's kind of the way it goes sometimes. But then you have to keep obscuring those if you still acknowledge them as weaknesses. And that seems to have disappeared from the presentation of Gonzalez since she's won the title. So I, I didn't think loads of the match beforehand. Um, and then the, obviously the injury was really unfortunate. But just watching as it happened, it didn't play as either a elegant work 
or have the drama of a shoot injury. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was it was neither one thing or the other. I was reminded of the Tegan Knox injury against Rhea Ripley, something that was very obviously real that very briefly she tried to gut through, and how that played as a obviously deeply upsetting but kind of fabulously dramatic piece of work that if you recall Rhea Ripley was great at like working with it as well as a heel. So like awful for Tegan Knox, but as an experience, you were like kind of dragged into a several different stories. Got the opposite out of this. I didn't know whether to be concerned for Zaya for real, whether or not this was screaming angle alert and Gonzalez has found a weakness that the dragon ghost lady isn't going to like, you know, because where was she, where was any of the kind of like Chan Sharp presence this week behind Zaya Lee? Um, was it a get out that made, um, the, the, that made beating Zaya Lee less of a commitment because she's lost through these circumstances rather than, you know, I was thinking about all this while very possibly she was sitting there with, I don't know, like severe stomach injuries or whatever the, the problem turned out to be. Luckily it seems to be nothing, but I, it was neither one thing nor the other. And that's pretty damaging for somebody with a gimmick like Zaya Lee. And yes, I agree with Cedric. I think it speaks to some problems with this division. Um, the coolest things they've got going on are almost nothing to do with the top title uh, or any of the top wrestlers. And I, mm, I don't know. The, like the best thing they've got is the eventual split between the tag team champions, probably, in that whole women's division. That's, that's less than ideal. I'd love it if they did a segment next week where like a janitor goes into one of the rooms and in there is Scarlet, Boa and the thousand-year-old dragon lady going, bloody hell, do you know how long we've been stuck in there? Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, let's talk about what happened at the end of this show, though. Uh, out comes Samoa Joe. Come out and play, he yells. Where, oh, where is my young champion? Well, not so young. Birthday week, of course. Shout out, by the way, to Petey McPickle for an excellent... <laughs> edit that he sent uh, the three of us yesterday of Karen Cross with his birthday balloons and uh, some ominous images of, of Jeff Hardy, let's say, at P.T. McPickle uh, on Twitter, if you want to go and check that one out. Uh, Joe vows there's going to be a reckoning. He's going to kick Cross's ass. And then uh, Cross pops up on the video screen to say that this is not the same world that Joe remembers. I assume he means NXT because... Elsewhere, um, he said, "This is his world now. This is the new beginning. He's the way of the future." He holds up the NXT Championship belt and he says, "This means he can go anywhere he wants, uh, and he can also hurt anyone he wants." And the camera pans out, and a KO'd William Regal is laid at his feet. He shouts, "Who provoked who?" And uh, Joe runs to the back, but uh, before he can get there, Cross jumps in his car and speeds away. And Joe screams. And I'm going to jab you, carry a cross, sort of thing, as the show goes off the air. An exciting conclusion to NXT, Hamlet. Yeah, but impossible to buy. Um, we can only assume that Karrion Cross started beating up William Regal the second um, he got to the building, which was, I guess, like half an hour ago, because at Vengeance 2002, um, Jeff Hardy defeated William Regal in five minutes. So that's nearly four times as long as it took Jeff Hardy to beat Karrion Cross. So <laughs> working those maths backwards, like Karrion Cross must have been on at William Regal for the better part of half an hour to leave him in that state. Um, look, I'm like I'm not just being facetious for facetious sake here. Like they are absolutely taking the piss if they want the WWE viewer, the guy that watches everything, the likes of us that review it, the older demographic that 
I seem to tune into everything to just accept this, having what they've just seen on Monday Night Raw. It did significant damage to what, again, in a world that NXT has tried to no-sell Raw, I don't think this is a bad angle at all. Karrion Cross is a piece of garbage like he was to William Regal a few weeks ago. He spotted a weakness in Samoa Joe, which is his relationship with William Regal. Um, it's fine. I don't like Karrion Cross, but if Raw never happened, absolutely fine to build to this match. Raw happened all over Karrion Cross, and one thinks it'll probably happen again in the weeks to come too. So it's just an impossible sell, an impossible sell of this Karrion Cross character. I've got an idea to build as well for uh, for Cross and Samoa Joe. So you know we've seen Cross before, like well, hitting the heavy bug and all the MMA stuff. Just have Samoa Joe practicing putting his feet on the ropes. Job done. There's your preview. <laughs> I mean, you make the joke and the joke's funny and the joke isn't funny anymore in terms of your viewing experience of this program. It's like, I'm not into the general manager thing, the assistant to the general manager thing at the best of times. I understand that people like William Regal, like on Squared Circle or you know, whatever other hellhole. Um, <laughs> oh, I love uh, Mr. Regal, Mr. Regal, Mr. Regal, Mr. Regal. Hangman Page. That's who I want to sympathise with. Spending an enormous amount of time trying to babyface William Regal. He's, he's what, 70 years old? <laughs> and he's not. But he's like he's a, a non-active wrestler. Like, just build a goddamn babyface instead. You'd be way better. And I know, I think the idea, I think, is if he's cleared, he's going to be, uh, some more Joe's going to be the babyface. Look, at the other day, carrying cross going to my world, like, where I want. Yeah, don't reference it. <laughs> <laughs> You go where you want and he get your generic ass handed to you. Um, I feel sorry for him at this point, man. I really, really do. Um, I almost feel sorry for Triple H. This guy's been undefeated for how long and his aura's now totally bust, even if it was fake in the first place. Ah, oh, God, I'm not looking forward to this bloody show next week at all. It's replaced Raw. Like... In my, oh God, legitimately a bit of mental despair, knowing that I have to review this. At least Raw is going to be like excitingly bad. Like this is just a dystopia that I don't care about, that the company itself doesn't care about. So why should I care? NXT is officially Raw in a, different, Asuka, in a different way. Remember when Asuka got called up and had that match at the pay-per-view with Emma and beat her? And the argument after the fact was like, uh, you've normalised Asuka there. Emma got a bit too much. Like, Asuka beat her in like five minutes on a pay or something. Like, well, hang on. Careful with that character. She's been undefeated in NXT for 100 million days. You can't just have Emma, like, dominate some of the match. Like, that looks like a fireworks display compared to this, doesn't it? Like, he's still, he's holding the belt. He's got the belt. He's got the belt. Never before, we've joked about it a lot, but never before have we seen a, 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 a crystallised personification of... It's a nice uh, champion and undefeated streak you've got there. It'd be a shame if someone job demands a Jeff Hardy in two minutes on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Those insufferable, repetitive Monday Night Wars documentaries that always start with the Lundra players dropping the belt in the bin. The Wednesday Night War, what ends with Vince McMahon dropping the belt around carrying Cross's waist into a giant bin. <laughs> Can't put a bit on your bin. Um, do you want to know the best news of all, though, lads? Best the news. podcast is finished. Well, that's that's good news, but it's it, it's good news for some and bad news for others. I'm off on Tuesday next week. Got a wedding, so you two have both got to preview NXT. All right, I've, got, I've fun with that. Ah, oh God! Oh, so got to review Raw as well. 
We've got a review Raw and preview NXT all by all by yourselves. I'll start working on. I'll start working on my cadence to do the sort of like. So Cedric, talk me through the uh, while I try and like start high so that Cedric can go low with zero optimism. <laughs> How do we think uh, <laughs> the Mariachi Madness response is going to be from Fantasma this week? <laughs> That's it. There's your first headline. Mariachi Madness. Fallout in capital letters. <laughs> God, I'm getting hungry, lads. <laughs> All right, let us know your thoughts on NXT on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Why you say you can follow all three of us? You can follow Michael Hamlet at... Michael Hamlet. Michael Sidgwick at... M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from. For daily wrestling podcasts later on today, we'll be previewing AEW Dynamite Fighter Fest Night 2. Uh, and all the good wrestling podcasts are on there, of course, as well. But this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.